yeah, you can be like, oh, yes, I'm going to do this. Yes, I'm going to do this. But there will be some points in those races where like you want nothing more to um, just be done. And, and even if that means quitting. Welcome to the Zero Quit Podcast, where I bring you candid conversations with elite athletes, entrepreneurs, specialists, and other creatives. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these dialogues, you will hear powerful stories and practical advice that will help you live a more active and intentional life. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Zero Quit Podcast. Today, I have on Pierce Shaw. He is an ultra-endurance athlete based out of Texas, and Pierce most recently became the youngest athlete to complete the Triple Crown of 200-mile races. That's the Tahoe 200, Bigfoot 200, and Moab 240. Yes, a whole lot of 200-mile races all within a few months. How are you doing, Pierce? I am doing great. I am uh, excited to talk to you, Brock. I'm I'm grateful to to know you and uh, to have gotten to know you better uh, over these last several months. And and we share an amazing mutual friend, Jeremy Miller. Yeah, uh, Mister Mister Insta Famous. Yeah, um, that it is funny, dude. How how much has changed in my life and your life and talked? his life? Well, I was looking at that because. When I was looking at the podcast description for our first episode, it was talking about you preparing for it. So I think it had to be, it had to be like six months ago. It had to be like, yeah, yeah. something like six or eight months ago. And it's funny because I, I, I told Jeremy after you went on most recent, I was like, you got the trifecta on his on his podcast, and then now you're having a second one on mine. And speaking of Jeremy being Mister Famous, um, you know, when he first came on the podcast, he's my first guest. And no he only way. had like 3000 followers and he was asking me how to grow. And I was like, dude, I, I don't know. I've, I've like stalled out. I'm not doing that good. And then the second time I have him on, he has like 40,000 or 60,000. And then I was like, now he's, you know, he's 120, 130. He's Mr. Big Shot, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. He he's he's going and he's taking us with him. I love it. Well, and it's funny, too. I was talking to um a friend of mine, Ty, he lives up in Denver last week, you know, about why I really do the podcast, a lot of the value I get out of it is like the relationships and connections. It sounds kind of cliche or trite, but it, it is really true because speaking of meeting Jeremy through doing the podcast, he's like my business partner and best friend of like the mm. past six, eight months at this point. Oh, actually mm. longer than that. Like we got really close to the beginning of the year. So it's like through, through the podcast, uh, both for me and for him, you know, we've, yeah. we've become really close friends, uh, done a race together, spent time together and started a, you know, a awesome company together. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's great to, you know, reconnect with you and have a, another hour plus long conversation or however we go with it. Yeah, let's do it, man. Well, anything you want to talk about, I'm an open book. <laughs> well, that's what I like about you. I feel like you, you take a, a nuanced approach to a lot of these topics. So I, with that in mind, I do want to get to, you know, the crux of it. We got to talk about the races, but uh-huh. I kind of want to get that out of the way so we can talk to the like the the little peculiar things about you or the things that you do and other things about your life. Because I know you've you've probably already hammered this on Jeremy's podcast. You've hammered it on maybe some other podcasts. But with all that said, let's talk about the races. So briefly explain why you did the Triple Crown of 200s and, and mm. what it is in the first place. Yeah, 100%. So um, I'll start with the what, then I'll start with the why. Um, then I'll go into the why, yeah. uh, the triple crown of the two hundreds is three, 200 mile races. And like you said, Lake Tahoe, Bigfoot, which is in Washington, 
Moab 240, which is in uh, Utah. And they're typically over the course of four months, June, August, and October. Um, but this year, because of the snow in, uh, in Lake Tahoe, the first one got pushed back just like 18 days earlier than the second. Mm -hmm. And so it was from the start of the first to the end of the last, it was three months. So three 200 mile races over three months. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it was, uh, with, and two, these aren't just like flat races. These no. are through the mountains in Lake <laughs> Tahoe, through the mountains in, in Moab and also Washington and just so, so beautiful, such an amazing, um, amazing views and just so fun to be out there. But yeah, so why would someone ever do that? Um, I would, uh, I would ask the same question. Uh, a couple years ago. And um, I think the biggest thing and reason why I did the the 200s, there's like a, there's like the practical of like the how I actually, why I decided to do it, but not, also the bigger reason. And the practical is um, just last year in 2022, I was uh, scrolling through Instagram and uh, I saw a post from this lady named Candace Burt who's the mm -hmm. race director of these races. And she posted something that said 200 is the new 100. And at this <laughs> point in time, um, I was gearing up to run uh, three 100 mile races that year because I wanted to uh, do those so I could be able to apply for a race called the Badwater 135, which is one of the most difficult races uh, in the world. Mm -hmm. It's like really hot, really long. And I won't get into it too much, but the qualification is you have to run at least three 100 mile races. And so I was like, oh, well, I want to do it. So why not qualify by running all the same races in a, in a year? Um, and so I was I was gearing up to get ready to do that. But then I got hit with that post where she said 200 is the new 100. And I was like, don't put something, <laughs> don't put something <laughs> hard in front of me. Because yeah. I clicked on the website and sure enough, they're advertising for this thing called the triple crown of 200s, which I'd never heard about. And it was three 200 mile races. And I was like, man, I probably won't do three, but what if I could do one of them? And, um, and if you, if you do one, you might as well do three, right? It's just that <laughs> yeah, carrot exactly. dangling in front but, of you. But, uh, for, for that point though, um, to get into them because the like amount of supply versus the amount of demand, they mm -hmm. have to do a wait list. And so you don't know for sure if you're going to get in. And I was like, man, you know, I want to guarantee my chances of getting in. And the only way to do that was to sign up for all three. And so <laughs> I was like, well, I love hard challenges. I love pushing myself because I always find that there's like some unlock. There's something I learn through the process of training for and completing these things. Sure. I've just found come to love them. And so uh, that, that's a little bit of what and why. Have you noticed or did you see that I think Candace is planning is it a 400 mile race or 500 yeah, 4 or 5 Yeah would that would that interest you at all See the thing about these 200s is like you can <laughs> you can do 100 and you'll be like like it'll be hard to walk maybe the next day and yeah. and you'll be tired and have some brain fog but with these 200s it's like sometimes I feel like I may get more sore in a 100 because I'm running harder yeah. But with the with the two hundreds, dude, you're you're missing out on two, three nights of sleep. And so <laughs> like you're mentally foggy. Like imagine pulling out all nighter three nights in a row. Yeah. And then and like adding far. exercise on top of that. Like sure, during these races you sleep, 
but it's not nearly a full night's of sleep. So, you know, two weeks, three weeks after the race, I'm still feeling a little mentally foggy. Yeah, I've thought about that too. And I, I think when I saw Candace post that, I sent it to Jeremy and I was like, man, these are kind of getting to the point where it's almost not even a feat of running. It's like a feat of just mental capacity will. and will to just go for it. Cause I mean, a 400 mile, it would have to take you at least like six plus days, even the fast, like yeah. the winners. And so at that yeah. point, it's like, you know, what are we really doing here? I mean, I get like the extremity of it, but like you said, I think I, I almost feel like a, a bad water race or a Leadville race is going to burn someone out like harder. It's more impressive than just dragging your corpse through a 200 mile race. Yeah. You know, it's, it, they're almost different things at that point. Um, yeah. But one thing I, I, I thought about, especially after you finish the races and this idea of being like the youngest to do it, I wonder if that leaves you with any anxiety where you feel like you have to one up it. Right. And what I mean is you achieve something so special at a young age and you feel like, well, if I do anything less than that, then I'm not continuously raising the bar. Does that make sense? Do you, do you mm. feel that way? Or what was that experience for you after finishing this feat? Yeah. Um, well, it, it's actually funny how life works because um, I finished it and I was excited. And then uh, I actually realized I'm not the youngest person. I'm the youngest guy to do it. Oh, because really? like 20 or 30 hours. No. I think she was t total 50 hours behind me in the combined time um, because she is more of a hiker than a runner. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, some girl like who's a little same bit younger you? than me. Yeah, literally. Uh -huh. So I was, I was technically like the youngest person for a few hours, for like, <laughs> no, probably for like 10 or 15 hours oh, I okay. could celebrate. But then the next morning, you know, she, <laughs> she came in, but I'm still the youngest male. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, like that life has a funny way of doing that. And that's one thing I realized through this all is like, you know, I, I had this like thing of like, yeah, I'll be the youngest. Like, it's going to be so crazy and things, everything's going to change and, and all that. But then I was like, like there's, there's eventually going to be someone who's younger than me and better than me. That's mm. going to come along and, and beat it. And, and I, like, that's not something that I should be mad about because it's just so cool because if my goal at the end of the day is to make an impact on people and to inspire people and to change people into believing more is possible for them, then am I really doing my job if no one does better than me? Mm. No, I think at least. And so, um, yeah, I think it's, I do think going back to your question though, like doing that, I don't know if it's like an anxiety that I need to perform more. I think it's more of like, it's a launching pad for me into more in all that I've been created to do. Like, because I'm like, man, I could do that at 22. What could I do for, you know, with five years of five more years compounded on this. And I may have done that in running, but how can I take that same mindset, the same approach and, and take it into business or yeah. take it into, you know, when I have a family, when I have a marriage someday, like, I don't want to just be a runner. I don't want to just be known as an ultra runner. Like, I think ultra runners are great. They're amazing people. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't want to be defined by that. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think it, it's more of like a springboard for me. I feel like into like, 
it's it's almost like it's kind of cool though because it's almost like what i've seen in my head mm-hmm. in my like vision that i've had for the past year or two it's like people are starting to like be like oh okay so that's what you were seeing and some people who like didn't think it was possible or like maybe doubted a little bit because i mean five years ago i would have doubted um that because mm-hmm. i just didn't know it was possible um they're starting to like be like oh okay so this is why you do this i'm glad you did this because look at all of it's become um mm-hmm. so yeah that that'd be my answer to that yeah i like that attitude of looking at it not as you know here's something you've done now you have to live up to that or or do something out something out do it but rather yeah. okay look at it as this is something i've done and something I can apply to other areas of your life. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking of the 200 specifically, because this was obviously your first time doing a 200 mile race. What was your perception of what a 200 mile race was going to be like versus the reality of running it? Um, I knew like I knew it was going to be really long and I knew it was going to be a little bit slower than, you know, in a hundred mile race. Mm-hmm. But when you get into a race like that, it's if you're not careful the race will beat you down mentally like crazy and it's gonna feel like a long 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 time in your mind if you're thinking oh man i'm 20 miles in i got 180 left to go i'm 40 miles in i've got 160 to go xyz and i was uh, actually using a new feature on my watch i'd never used like the navigation yeah. Future, but for these races, they make you um, download, download a GPX it. file. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that this watch did was it said you have 150 miles left to go. And so you had, you know, 140, you've got 120. And I had never had that before. Granted, like, you know, those thoughts pop into your head during the middle of a race, like, oh, I'm at Leadville, I'm 50 miles in, I've got 50 to go but you don't like, you're not constantly reminded of it by a Mm. watch. And so I think that was part that played in it. But yeah, I mean, by mile 50, man, at at Tahoe, I was, it was brutal. It was so brutal because I was, I forgot to put uh, some chafing cream on certain parts. I Mm. was having GI issues. So I was going to the bathroom way too frequently. Um, I was running with a pack, but I had to separate off of them because I had to go to the bathroom and like all these things kept like I ran out of water for like 40 minutes um, and all these things kept stacking up and I wasn't like mentally sharp and I, I didn't correct those thoughts. So those thoughts started to build. They started to stack and that negative uh, mindset started to take over into the point where I got, I got to 55 almost 60 miles in. And I think it was like 62 was the aid station. And I was thought thinking about dropping out. And um, I have never come as close as I did then to um, dropping out. And uh, I, I remembered this, um, this thing that my coach had said before the race, Mike McKnight, who, who coached me yeah. um, through this process. He said, before you do anything, you have to uh, eat and sleep. And so um, at that point, I was honestly, I, from what I remember, I was in a state where I was like, oh yeah, I'm just going to eat and sleep. Um, and, you know, if I don't work up well, I'm just going to be done. 
because yeah. I'm so over this. It's not my day. It's not my race. And I've never come that close. It's always been like do or die. Like, let's get, let's get it done at all costs. I think that was, um, because I maybe came in a little bit too confident. Yeah. Um, and then too, I mean, it's just like, whenever you do the first time of like your next longest distance, it's going to be, it's going to be hard. I mean, you're not going to do the best that you will ever do at that your first time mm -hmm. um, because you get better with, with practice. And so essentially I wake up, I feel much better and, um, and, and I go on the rest of the race. And so there was this uh, reel that Jeremy posted from my account and it really sums up how I was feeling about that race in that moment. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because I'm, you know, two, I had two hours of sleep it's basically 24 hours from the start of the race. And I, Jeremy gets me on a, a clip and says, I say something to the effect of, man, when I signed up for this, yeah. I had no clue how long it was going to take. And, and that's the truth. Like I, in that race, it took me 35 hours to run a hundred miles when like the fastest a hundred mile race I've run is like 22 hours. Mm -hmm. And so that's like, that's like, one and a half times the amount of time um with so it, it's just like so what about the crazy. time was wearing on you the most was it was it boredom was it kind of just getting lost in your own mind was it like feeling that you were never actually getting to the destination what was it specifically because it it sounds like okay you're having some bodily issues too but you probably yeah. battled that before yeah it all compounded on itself so it was like okay, the the body issues then made me in, into a little bit of a more negative standpoint. Uh -huh. I didn't take captive those thoughts and they started to compound. And then I was reminded of like, oh, Pierce, you've got this many miles left. You got this many miles left. And then, um, yeah, I think it was a, a combination uh, of, and then two, because the race was 200 and not 100, yeah. it was like, oh my gosh. I'm not even a quarter of the way there. I'm not even a quarter. Mm -hmm. Um. So yeah, I think if you let things get too big in your mind, you get the mountain become too big. It becomes insurmountable. And that's why I, I preach and I talk about this um, mental approach to big, difficult tasks called segmentation. I, I've used it for a while and, and got the name of it finally from one of my friends who who was a navy seal and segmentation is simply just breaking big things down into smaller segments and just focusing on that and for you you know you're getting ready to do your first 100 mile race so mm -hmm. at you know bighorn segmentation is yeah i've got 100 miles to run but all i gotta do is focus on this next section from mile zero to 10 or zero to five or, or however long it is to that aid station. And then once you get there, it's like, okay, focus on the next section because too, with these races and how they work, you can go in feeling terrible to an aid station, but then you eat, you're around the people at the, the volunteers, they're cheering you up and you get brought back to life and you're like, yeah. all right, I can do the next aid station. And so it's never quitting in the middle, but just focusing on just getting to the next one.
One thing that I've experienced in 50 mile races and then I witnessed in uh, crewing my friend Joey at Leadville uh, oh, yeah. is that obviously there's a lot of ups and downs and ultras that you're alluding to. You know, there's moments where you're in an absolute valley, you feel awful, you're yeah. contemplating quitting, and then yeah. you surge back up and you feel yeah. even better than you maybe even did at the start line. And this kind of yin yang uh, action keeps occurring. In a 200 mile race, are they. Is there just more of those kind of undulation pattern or are they higher peaks and lower valleys? Are they stretched mm -hmm. out longer before you come out of a low moment? How would you say that that differs from uh, the highs and lows of 100? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think what I do is I don't ever want to get too high or get too low. Like I try and ride the middle yeah. because if you're like super high, but then you just crash. It's like, oh my gosh, the world's ending. Mm -hmm. And so um, I don't necessarily know how I would make the difference. I think it's it's more of the same. It's just like that happens more because it's a longer race. Okay. Um, but one of the things I also go into these races with is like I realized during my first 200 with Tahoe, it's like at some point my feet are going to kill because I've been on them for, for so long. Imagine like standing up for all day. All right. All day long, working on your feet, standing. Well, dude, you're I, ready I, to sit not down. to interrupt you. I felt it at Leadville, just crewing Joey, not even running the race, like standing all day. By the time I had to pace him, my legs felt heavy from just standing yeah, all day. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like that times four. <laughs> uh -huh. Um, and so literally some of the biggest problems people have are blisters on their feet like nerve pain in their feet and uh and it can be hard because once it really really hurts i mean you can take um some ibuprofen and sometimes it'll take a little bit of it away but i mean it's it's hard to get around it um and so yeah i going through that at tahoe and realizing that things are going to go wrong even more and, and stuff like that it's like i approached bigfoot with the mindset of okay pain is coming like, when is it going to come and, and almost approach it with the mindset of like, when it comes, be like, man, what took you so long? I've been yeah. waiting for you. And so that way, it like kind of becomes this kind of funny game you play with yourself of like, oh, pain, I knew you were coming. Like, I'm just going to keep running through you. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just going to keep navigating through this. And so that makes it um, much better than if you're like, okay, like, you know, I hope I don't start feeling my feet hurting mm -hmm. until you know mile 100 150 because like if it comes before that you're you're done you're, yeah you you're can't rocked. make you can't make uh the fear of pain some ultimatum where once it arrives it's like oh now things are going to go downhill yeah. uh yeah going into moab 240 so you do you do a tahoe you do bigfoot you got one more race left yeah. What is your attitude going into that race and how did it change? How was how it different from the other races knowing, hey, this is the last one to kind of pour it out and, and finish this journey? Oh, yeah. So a couple of different things. One, I was like, man, let's go. I've got so much uh, knowledge that I've learned through the process. And that's the power of experience, because going into the first one, I had no clue what to expect. I, you know, didn't know what 200 miles was going to feel like. And there are so many lessons and things I learned about sleeping, about eating, about the mindset I had uh, to approach them. And so simply 
so get this this is not about necessarily moa but it relates from tahoe so lake tahoe that race i ran in 87 hours then 18 days later from once i finished to the start of the next race bigfoot which is actually a harder race bigfoot uh 200 is harder it's like 30 or 42,000 feet of gain versus like 35 or or, or four no 37 maybe mm-hmm. um so a lot more gain, a lot more, uh, very a crazy amount of vert. Um, so, you know, you would think since it's a harder race and it's 18 days after I would do worse. No, I actually finished at 79 hours. So like seven or eight hours faster, the second race when theoretically I shouldn't have been doing well. And that's because I refocused on segmentation. I refocused on chunking it down. Um, and, and I just, had that experience of going through it and what to expect. And so based on that, based on my performance there, I was really excited in Moab to um, see what I could do because at Bigfoot, I only had one crew member who was only able to pace me for 13 miles. So I ran basically 200 miles of this race, of this 200, uh, what was it, 214 mile race? Yeah, I felt bad that Jeremy couldn't pace you for for Moab or uh, Bigfoot. I know. Wait, what was he? I forget what he was doing at Bigfoot. Was he with you? Um, I don't, I don't August quite 11. remember. Yeah, I don't. Qu- oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We were we were shooting stuff for Switchback, and then yeah. I felt bad too because you asked me to do uh to do Moab, Moab, and then I was like, well, shoot, I can't do it. But then coincidentally, I had a race like two weeks after, and I was like yeah. in Moab, and I was like, dude, he's gonna think I'm such a dick, and I, you know, <laughs> I was like. Yeah, but uh, carry on. <laughs> but yeah, so, so having no pacer um, basically. Yeah, so I had no pacer for Bigfoot, but going into Moab, I actually got a bunch of my friends to come. So I had nine people there. Nice. Um, and nine people on your crew is a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I was so excited because one of the things that I've learned throughout these races, and this would be great for everyone listening to to tune into this part, is like it could be really cool to finish a marathon, to finish 50 miles, to finish a hundred miles and do that and check that off your bucket list and get the medal, get the belt buckle and all of that. But what's even greater is doing that with people you love and care about Mm -hmm. and like crossing the finish line and everyone having that moment together. Like I'm sure you experienced that Brock at at Leadville, like just the climax of like finishing it. We Mm -hmm. did it. And even for the crew, and I'll end with this, even for the crew, it's a huge moment that they'll remember for the rest of their life. Because how often in life do you get to like spend two days um, with little sleep, driving all around in service of someone else, getting them to their end point, their end destination, the finish line. Yeah. And you all rally together doing some things that you may not want to do, but you know, you're doing it for the greater good. And then you just get to all come together and celebrate. That's such a powerful moment. <laughs> Yeah, dude, that's that's it. That's it. It really was a feeling of we did it. And I like you phrased it that way because it does take a team or it takes a village, right, to get someone from mile zero to mile 100. And that's how it felt walking with Joey. You know, our whole crew was walking together that last stretch that you've ran before with Leadville. And I was like shaking from the adrenaline and just hearing everyone cheer and I, I was just smiling ear to ear. My like mouth was like shaking from just the adrenaline in the moment. And it's it's 
I won't forget it, you know, and, and, and we yeah. still, you know, stay in touch out and we were in touch before all, everybody that was part of the crew, but you know, those are the memories that everyone that was a part of that race will remember forever. Like you said, so it, it really is something special and something I look forward to with Bighorn is, uh, not mm. just getting my little buckle and feeling special and posting that and people patting me on the back. Now it really is going to be, you know, walking, well, yeah, literally probably that by the end of the race, walking and running those last few miles with my wife, um, pacing, uh, you know, or, or spending miles upon miles late at night, you know, with Joey or whoever's pacing yeah. me and, 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 and sharing those moments that I and the person with me won't forget. So it really is important to phrase it that way and think of these races that way is it's not just your journey. It's everyone's kind of journey that, that, uh, you know, they, they're making a commitment to you, but it is a, a back and forth in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. 100%. It's, uh, it's amazing. I'm, I'm curious for you. Cause you asked me this question. I want to flip it around. Yeah. What, uh, what made you want to do a hundred miles in Bighorn? You know, I thought about that actually, uh, earlier this week, you know, I was like, why am I, why am I doing this hundred again? Yeah. I was thinking about it. And part of it is years ago, kind of like you, I see this guy, David Goggins, I hear Cam Haynes, I see Courtney Doe Walter, I'm like, oh, people do like 100 miles, that's insane. I'd never do that, like who who can do that? And then I uh, eventually, I'm like, all right, maybe I'll try a marathon, do a marathon. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, this ultra stuff's pretty cool, start getting into ultras. And I'm like, you know, 100 mile would be cool one day, like that's, I think I can do it like one day. But it's it's that, it's that, it's one day. And uh, so year or two down the line, you know, I'm doing some ultras and I'm still thinking it's, it's still going to be one day. I still keep pushing it off. You know, I don't, whenever I'm ready. Right. But you're never mm -hmm. exactly ready. Uh, and I, I actually, <laughs> this is actually annoyed my wife, uh, earlier this year after I did like Ram party, my 50 miles, like, you know, 2024, I'm going to take a little bit easier. I'll do some more 50 mile 50 Ks, but you know, I'm, I'm just going to take a little bit easy uh, and work on some other things, you know, life-wise, mm -hmm. business-wise. And then I knew Jeremy was doing Bighorn 100 the next year. I knew another guy that, that we've become mutual friends with, me and Jeremy, uh, named Pete, who's a record-breaking powerlifter um, that I grew up really looking up to. He's doing the 100. And, and then after this Leadville race, I was like, man, I got to do Leadville. And then so I mm -hmm. talked to uh, a friend of mine, Don Reichelt, and he's coaching me now. And, uh, he was like, dude, I really think you should do Bighorn because with your like leg strength and more of a, like a strong climber, you should do Bighorn rather than Leadville. And so that kind of led me to Bighorn specifically, but it was just a slow culmination of feeling like I said, I wanted to do hundred miles at some point. It is that kind of quintessential milestone, right? hundred, mm -hmm. hundred miles, right? Like hundred K is mm -hmm. cool. If it was 80 miles, I mean, that's still impressive, but like, hundred right it just has that ring to it and so it's it's something i feel like i i need to do it's something i feel like i have to do uh will i want to do more hundreds after it i don't know probably not as frequently but who knows you know i, mm -hmm. I kind of don't want to go into any objective goal worry too much about what's next but just focus on like with the task at hand uh yeah. so with all these different factors lining up i was like it's bighorn it's 100 miles it's next year and uh, so I'm, I'm excited to attack it. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a great, great race to run. Great yeah. people too. So to kind of round out some of this race talk, 
you finish obviously the, the triple crown you finish moab and i i wonder reflecting on the race you've had some months now to think about it or i guess about a month month and a half maybe mm-hmm. what do you look back on with more fondness is it those moments crossing the finish line those moments of euphoria or do you look back on those struggling moments of pain that moment we just spoke about where you were contemplating quitting where you almost wish you could kind of relive that moment because it was more vivid it was more rewarding to overcome yourself in that moment mm-hmm. yeah that that's a really good question i mean speaking to that tahoe race i kind of look back on it and i'm like dude that's crazy i was in that in that state like in that piece in that state of mind that i was so close to quitting and i was like dude like kind of look at myself and I was like, dude, you're being a pansy. Like what's going on? And, and, uh, you know, honestly, like I kind of, I think that just shows too how it's like, there's that quote, like everyone has a plan until they get knocked in the mouth. Right. Yeah. But it's, it is so true. And especially during the race, it's like, yeah, you can be like, Oh yes, I'm going to do this. Yes. I'm going to do this. But there'll be some points in those races where like, you want nothing more to um, just be done. And, and even if that means quitting, and that's why it's so important to have a, a great crew around you that you have told like, hey, your job is not to make me feel good. Your job is to get me to the finish line. So whatever we need to do to get me to the finish line, let's do that. Um, and and that's you know partially what happened during Tahoe was like, I, I, got through that moment. But then when I crossed 104 miles at that aid station, I was ready to be done again. It was just that that mental battle, I was losing it. Um, and it took Jeremy actually mm-hmm. being like, hey, what's wrong? Like, what what's your problem? And I told him like I was having digestive issues and GI issues and stuff. And he's like, all right, I'm calling your coach. Like, we're gonna figure this out. We're gonna get your electrolyte levels balanced um, or whatever. And uh, And I was able to keep pushing. And so um, that that was a big lesson. But as far as like the specific moments that I um, that I look back on, I mean, man, I, I look back on the hard moments. I, I look back on like the the moments of like climbing through the night in Moab, just like alone, listening to, to worship music, just like all out there in the mountains and like mm-hmm. just just like so tired that I wanted to just lay down and sleep. But I look back on like trekking in in probably the best memories that I have of all the races. They were all amazing. Don't get me wrong, but was with my crew of nine people, like them just coming together to support and then me getting the chance to run with, you know, three, four different people at different times, all the stories. Like imagine, imagine if you went on, this is how I describe it. Imagine if you go on a road trip with a group of like, you know, five or six really amazing guys who you share values with and you're all about um, similar stuff, growing, becoming the best that you could be, um, encouraging one another, all those things. And uh, you get in a car and you go for for uh, a drive and a, a road trip. And then you're like, you have a common objective. So you're working together to to achieve something. And then also you're functioning on little sleep. And so like there, there's this funny thing that happens when you're all like 
lacking sleep, you'll get slap yeah. lucid and, and slap happy, and you're just laughing at everything. And uh, you're you're also like almost on a short bit of temper a little bit because yeah, for sure. you, you need your sleep. Uh, but more than anything, dude, we just had so many funny moments. Like there was a point where I was going to bed uh, and I was every time before I go and sleep, I'd eat a lot because um, it's just a great time to eat a lot because, you know, you're going to digest it and stuff while you're sleeping. And uh, and so I, I'm about to go to sleep and I'm telling my crew, I'm like, hey, can you uh, actually no, my crew member, Justin, he goes, hey, Piers dude, I'm sorry. They're all out of quesadillas. And without thinking about it, I go, well, I'm out of miles then. And everyone just <laughs> died laughing in the, in the crew. And, and when I share that, it's like, it's funny, but it's not like crazy funny. It's not the funniest thing you've ever heard, but like in that car, in the we context, were just, yeah, yeah, we were yeah. dead. And so like so many moments like that, I remember. Um, and then one particular memory, like my last 20 miles of uh, of Moab we were just like me and my um crew my me and my pacer were just like running and and it felt like we were going fast and we were probably we were going fast for that point in the race but we were probably running like nine ten minute miles but we were we felt like we were booking it because we were just so dead tired and uh we were like pulling up people on the tracker and seeing where someone was at and like mm -hmm. how far ahead of us they were and, and so we passed a couple guys and uh, the last guy we passed, we, we were tracking him down and we we're like, we got to be really close to him. And then we see him across the ravine and we're like, all right, let's go get him. And so we were like chasing him down. We passed him and we kept going and uh, just doing that, doing that with someone like mm -hmm. it wouldn't have been the same if it was just me. Like, sure, it would have been cool um, to, to pass that guy with like three, four miles left, but doing it in relationship with other people, it, it just like makes it such a memory. And then we get to remember that together being like, Oh, you remember when we did this yeah. and just like reminiscing. So you got Brazos hundred coming up here real shortly. Uh, after that, and maybe you could answer like why you're doing this race too in the first place. What is yeah. next for you? Are you interested in doing FKTs? Are you interested in doing these kind of solo pursuits like your coach just attempted to redo with the Arizona Trail? Um, mm -hmm. Or are you looking to do, you know, destination races like UTMB or, you know, what is driving you for, you know, in, into the future? Yeah. Um, so the reason I'm doing the Brazos Bend 100 is because. Uh, I got a bunch of my friends from my men's group at church uh, to do it last year. And there were probably like 15 of us um, who went out and did it. And it was really cool. And uh, but some of them didn't make it and, and whatnot. And so some of them were like, oh, we got to go back for redemption. And so they're doing that as well as like I, I believe in the philosophy of a, it's called a Misogi. It's there's yeah. a deeper meaning to it, but essentially what it means is going out and doing something so difficult one day of the year that like everything you do in that year pales in comparison to how difficult the thing that you do is. And that it's like, um, there's a 50, 50 chance of whether you finish or not. And so, um, that like the Misogi that has carried over into our, our group here in Texas. And now we, we have, a. Uh, we put out an evite for this uh, party we're going to do, the pre-race party, and there are 100 people signed up for it. Not saying that um, like all those people are going to run, but 
probably like 30 or 50 of them uh, are going to run it. And so, um, so yeah, it's just become this big thing where I'm at in Texas with all me and my buddies, um, with the guy I work for, Steve, my mentor. And, um, and so we're going back and I was just like, I'm training a lot of guys, so I'm going to help them out. But also after doing these 200s, I'm like, huh, I wonder based on the base I've built up and, and all of that through the process, like, how could I, how, how fast could I go? And so, um, that's part of it, even though I'm still a little bit recovering, I'd say my body is recovering from, uh, Moab, but that's what I'm doing then. And then as far as like, what's next, people always ask what's next, what's next, what do you want to do? And the biggest thing that I, um, think about it is like, what's next doesn't always have to be in running doesn't always have to be in fitness or whatnot like what's next is like what is the the biggest thing that you want to work on that you want to challenge yourself with and things yeah. like that and so for me one of the things i've realized over the past two years as i've been very focused very disciplined very um regimented training for these different races is there have been a couple uh trips that i haven't gone on that i usually would go on every year with family um, with really good family friends. And, you know, I'm at a point where I'm like, man, these relationships are so much more important to me than anything else. And so whatever I have to do, if that means I do no races at all next year, um, to be able to do those, um, I want to hit those two trips, but I'm still going to probably work out a way around to do like a, a couple different races. But for me, it's, it's, uh, it's always been about finding challenges that are, that push me that require more of me, but also mm -hmm. are exciting. Because if I'm not excited about something, like when push comes to shove, when life gets busy and things come up, like I'm not gonna wanna dedicate the time, the effort, the sacrifice to yeah. do it. I mean, like, you know, training for this 100 mile race, like training for that takes a long time. And yeah. you have to be excited about the process, excited about, you know, getting there, growing, in your capabilities and all that to keep doing that. So long answer short, um, the races I do are not the biggest priority to me for next year, but I'm most likely going to switch things up and probably work with Jeremy, do a fast marathon and then probably like a fast Ironman. Cause I was like, this was a year of like really long stuff. Now I want to see what's possible um, with the speed. Gotcha. Well, you referenced him a little bit. Um, as you were speaking, but Steve, I want, I want to ask you the value of mentors, because that's mm. something that I think is, it's certainly talked about, but I, I don't know if young men take it up as much as they should. I mean, I've yeah. certainly had some mentors that I feel like have like naturally come into my life rather than me going out of my way to seek them. And sometimes mm -hmm. they're brief. Sometimes it's only like, you know, two or three conversations that, you know, I had in, in someone's office or you know, sometimes it is someone I've, I've seen you know, more frequently, but could you speak to the, the value that mentors have served in your life and specifically, you know, what has Steve meant to you? Yeah, that's a really good question. I haven't been asked that um, in that way. Uh, I don't know before or in a while, but yeah, mentors have played such a, such an important role in my life. And I'm so glad that I, I learned this when I was in college um, I was reading books or watching a, a YouTube video and it was talking about like, you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. The people mm -hmm. that you surround yourself with are so important because they're going to pull you towards your goals or pull you back away from them. And um, 
another thing that I heard and learned was very, very important to me and has shifted the trajectory of my life in that when you're when you're getting started out, when you're younger or at least younger in doing what you want to do um, and you haven't you don't have much experience and, and whatnot, you're you're in a season of learning. And I think Alex Hermosi says it. you're in a season of learning. You're not in a season of earning. And so I adopted this philosophy to where, like, when I first met Steve, my thought process in that time wasn't like, okay, how can I make the most money? But I was like, okay, how can I learn and develop myself to be the best that I can be? And that's like, that's an always pursuit, but especially when you're young over earning. And mm -hmm. so I was like, man, I would do anything just to be able to get around this guy, learn from him. And because I really admired him, his faith was strong. He had a family, married kids, um, successful, did all of that. And so I was like, man, if I could just get around that, I could figure out how he's done it. What are his habits? What is he, how has he grown to be able to do these amazing things? And so um, I met Steve, I got around Steve and I was, I had already started running um, and did my first hundred mile race and things like that. But things have exponentially increased um, in my in, in everything in my in my walk in my relationship with God in my fitness in my relationships in my confidence. But probably the biggest thing that Steve did for me and mentors can do for you is mentors since they're further along on the road than you is they can see things that you can't see, and so for me. Being around Steve has helped me grow and develop my confidence to be able to go after things and push and do things that I never have had the support to do in the past. Like for me, where I grew up and, and all my family and all that, like I'm the odd one out. Like I'm the me crazy too. guy <laughs> who's doing the 200 mile races and yeah. you know who would ever want to run more than a marathon or even a marathon? Why would you ever want to do that? Um, but what I did was I got around Steve and, uh, you know, his tribe of people he surrounds himself with. And quickly, it wasn't like, oh, well, what's wrong with you? You're kind of weird. But it was like, oh, dude, you're weird. I love that about you. Like, that's sweet. And so being around this group of people has helped me um, discover that, wow, this is really cool. This is could be really something. And so it's encouraged me to keep going and pushing in that direction um, and and helped give me the confidence to think that more than what I originally saw was possible is possible and push my limits to do races like the Triple Crown. I like that. One thing I saw, I had to ask you about this. So when Jeremy was, was at your place, I saw your walls are absolutely covered with <laughs> names, with goals, with all kinds of stuff. And I, uh, I think it really speaks to your vision. It speaks to your your drive and your focus, but it probably also speaks to a belief in law of attraction. Um, mm. So can you can you tell us a little bit about what's on your walls or all across your your home, and uh, and why you do that? Yeah, hundred um, percent. So all around my walls, like I've got this big thing behind me with like all these different things. Yeah. Um, 
I have like this, these vision boards. I've got these big like post-it note. They're like a huge, sorry, post-it note. That yeah. You and for people that on, don't know, it's, it's in the walls. bathroom. It's everywhere from what I saw. Written on my mirrors, written on my ceiling, <laughs> all of that. Yeah. And I got a like huge whiteboard in my room. And so, yeah, so I, I started doing that because one of the things that, um, you know, I, I think about is like what you focus on, you will become. And yeah. so one of the things I realized is I do these, like I set goals, I do these things, but you know, life happens and things like that. And sure enough, two, three weeks, four weeks go by. And like, I'm not thinking about my goals. And it's like, how are you going to get to somewhere where you're not even thinking about and, and remembering and, and processing and all of that. And, uh, you know, I, I've heard of things, you know, like the, the law of attraction, I've heard of, um, you know, there's even verses in the Bible that say, ask and it will be given to you seek and yeah, you will find yeah. knock and the door will be open to you anything uh you ask for something 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 uh do you think a um a, a father would give his son a, a a rock when he asked for food or something like that so mm -hmm. um so yeah so so that like has really spoken to me and i think you know there there's no one i've really known maybe that does it to the extent that i do but I just want to be reminded of all the things that I'm doing and want to accomplish. And so that I'm focusing on it and I'm driving towards it because um, we, we as humans can get very complacent. We can get stuck in the way things are and just kind of, we lift our heads Coast. up and it's been, yeah. it's been four weeks, but if you've got goals and visions and dreams and things like that all around you, it's like, Oh, I remember when I wrote that, that fires me up. And two, um, the coolest thing I used to, I used to hear people talk about vision and, and setting goals and having vision boards and all of that. And I used to think, man, that's cool. Um, but I, there's never really been a moment in my life when like I've put something down on paper and, or put it, printed out a picture and then like work towards it and actually accomplished it. Um, just cause I hadn't really done that before. I'm like, does it really work? And, and how, how, how are there people who like say they're going to do something in it and they have this vision for it and they talk about like, no one understood it while I was first getting started out. No one grasped it, but you know, two, three, four years down the line, when I actually accomplished it, it's like everyone, you know, starts coming in and supporting mm -hmm. you and realize, oh, what you said actually like did happen. And so I wanted to speak to the person who feels that way because that was me. Like I'd heard these people talk about casting vision um, and seeing things before they happen. I'm like, dude, I've never seen anything before it's happened before, uh, like in my mind. And I've started to do this and surround myself with, you know, pictures and images and words on my um, walls of what I wanted to achieve. And it's start I'm starting to live in that of like, Oh, I had the triple crown of 200s on my wall, each race lined out and all of that. And I'm done with that. I'm wearing the hat. I got the medal. Like you can't tell me I didn't do it. And mm -hmm. so it's just been this cool process of like setting a target, achieving the target, the goal, and then that strengthening your faith and your belief that like, Oh, dude, I just need to set more targets because I can hit targets. It may not happen tomorrow, but it's going to happen over time. And then the last thing, because I know it's kind of a long winded no, answer, you're fine, man. but 
good things take time. And yeah. so if I want to do a 200 mile race, there's a lot of training and a process that needs to go into that. And it's so important to remind yourself of why you're doing it, to remind yourself of the goal, because like you can easily get sidetracked if you're not focused on what you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've realized this too. It's not always about like what you um, accomplish because you learn and grow so much through the process of accomplishing it, but you have to be focused on running the race, achieving the goal, doing whatever to be able to make all that progress. Yeah. Yeah. I I almost think of it like you got to have at least some destination in the GPS that you're working towards. And if you detour, if you, if you, you know, have a few stops along the way, you know, you hit the Chick-fil-A, you fill up for gas, whatever, it's fine. You change the yeah. destination, but at least you got to start towards some direction. Yeah. Um, and, and you know what? <laughs> the other thing that tells me, too, that you have all this stuff on your walls, it tells me you don't have a girlfriend because if you did, she would <laughs> she would kill you for this kind of decor um, or at least one that doesn't live with you. So that that's what it also tells me. Um, <laughs> what is your advice? Because I, I know a big thing that I think you've really capitalized on since meeting Steve, but you know, probably it's been years in the making is it's networking and relationships. Mm. What has been your advice or, or tips you could share for not just meeting new people, although that could be something perhaps, but more so developing deeper relationships. So you kind of talked about, you know, Steve, right on the outside, the external, you can go, okay, this guy's successful. He's married. You're kind of looking at all these traits you could list off, but how do you get to that inner kernel of the person how do you get to the essence of steve how do i get to the essence of pierce here where we're not just talking about all the records you have the races you've done but i'm getting to talk about the man himself you know how do you Mm -hmm. how do you try and get to that level with somebody Uh, so what you're saying is how do you build like deep connections with people sure yeah and network so so i think um there are kind of two questions in that is like the networking piece but also how do you go super deep with people I think number one is like vulnerability unlocks, like vulnerability is the key to, um, to like connecting because if you share something vulnerable with someone, it strengthens your relationship. Like we, we do these events one time per month at Steve's house where we have 15 guys fly in, we do a cold plunge workout, Steve speaks and all of this. And these guys come together. And what we realized is like, Yeah, the workout's great for bonding the group, getting them closer to one another. But the biggest thing that happens uh, in our most impactful groups is guys share things that they've been carrying around or struggling with for a while with each other. And they're like, man, like something about that just like strengthens people like no other. So that's, that's one thing. And then as far as like networking there, I mean, there's so many lessons I've learned. Um, number one is like always, always, always leading with value. It's like, um, for, for me, how I grew my relationship with Steve was like, um, you know, I met, I heard, I saw him speak and then I met him on the mountain at an event and then, uh, he was coming out to speak in my area. So he told me, And then I was like, okay, how can I add the most value to this person as possible? And so I thought, I'm like, okay, what is this guy like? What can I do for him? I'm like, oh, well, he probably likes hiking because I met him at a 
um, hiking event. So there's this awesome mountain called Camelback, you know, right near me, I can offer to take him there and like show him a juice spot nearby. So, so that was that he actually took me up on the hike. And then I was like, Okay, I got my foot in the door, what else can I do for him? And I was like, Oh, well, do you have a ride from the airport? And uh, turns out he didn't have a ride from the airport, he was Ubering. And so even though <laughs> this is my my humble beginnings, um, no, it was just only a couple years ago, which is crazy. This was only in uh, 2021. Holy! Well, it shows cow. how much you can grow in a short period of time. I mean, uh, two and a half years ago, or what was it? Uh, maybe it's yeah, three and a half at this point. I opened my gym, and three and uh, a half you know, years ago, you opened it. Yeah, yeah. So I opened wow. it in November 2020, and like I I see that instagram like archives pop up sometimes and it's like reflecting on on that i'm like man i've changed so much and like the time you know maddie and i my wife and i've been married for you know a year and a half at this point and like thinking you know th th thinking about that day where we got married and like just all these things happen so fast and you know i think you're uh, either a year or just under younger than me i'm i turned 24 in february I think you're what, okay. are you still 22 or are you 23 soon? Uh, 23 in December. Yeah. And so it's like, we're at this stage in our life where as long as we have this go get our mindset and we surround ourselves with the right people, we have this, we're like a sponge. It's like you said, you're in a state of learning at this youthful stage. And before we get on the podcast, you know, I was telling you how, yeah, I've really just fallen in love, never have in my life, but really fall in love the past two years with reading and I feel like my fascination with it is just like, I feel like the world is my oyster and I'm just trying to soak up everything that's possible. And I think that's, it's something that shouldn't die out. Like you mentioned, as you get older, it's a lifelong pursuit, but uh, yeah, I'm rambling too long, but the point is like we, <laughs> so much can happen so fast in a year, no matter what age it is, but definitely at a, at a young age. Totally. A hundred percent. So yeah, so, so much can, I totally agree with that. But then, Going back to like, I I was driving at the time like a 2010 Nissan Frontier, um, mm -hmm. not not big truck like a small truck. I originally got in high school because I didn't want to drive something huge because I didn't want to um, have that trouble. But so I pick up. I thought it was just gonna be Steve. It was Steve, his wife, and two of his sons, and and he's got his knees basically like in the in the uh, dash or whatever, and. Uh, but, but what I did was like, before I picked him up, I cleaned my car. I got it washed. I vacuumed it. I put a car freshener in it just to like freshen it up because I want to like put my best step forward. And, uh, and that was something that he noticed and he's like, oh man, this kid, you know, offered to pick us up. He, he, he may have a, a truck that barely fit us, but, um, he cleaned it up and did all he could to, to clean it up. And so that left an impact on him because people that you want to like get around people that you want to learn from are going to pick up on those small little things. And then two, um, one of the th things I've learned from other mentors is really, um, positioning things in a way that like, there's no way someone will say no. So like, I always, when I'm asking Steve to do something, maybe for me or for some like a project I'm working on and things like that, I will always make it in a way that's like, of course, he's going to say yes, like there's no. So for instance, like people that you want, like, for instance, a mentor, 
typically someone you want to mentor you, they're going to be busy. They're not going to have a lot of time. Um, they like really value people who actually like do a ton of what they tell you to do and not like mess around with it. Don't because they want to, they want people who are going to be fertile soil and, and a couple other things. And so like for me, I always try and make sure when I ask, Steve, ask if Steve things, it's like very quick. It's very to the point. If I have things for him, I'm very like sh- f- just a few questions. I'm not wasting his time and, and things like that. And so I think that all stems too from like a, a mindset of adding value to someone and not taking from them and being very considerate of them and their time. So it's like not thinking about yourself, but thinking about the person. And so that that has really served me well. Yeah, I like that. I think it's, yeah, consideration and then just being direct. Like like you said, yeah. get to the point. And that's something else I've heard uh, very recently from my buddy Ty, but, you know, from in the past as well, is if you're going to ask for advice, you better damn be willing to uh, take yes. them up on it and put action behind it. Otherwise, you're not going to get advice from them in the future because they're going to go, this guy's just playing around. Uh, yeah. So I want to ask yeah, you a ahead. question. Ask it. So so one of the things that fascinates you is you're a younger guy and you don't see many younger guys that are married. And so yes. I want to ask you on which, this which, podcast. Since our last podcast, we got Jeremy engaged. So I know. I know. So that was that was an example of believe and achieve and we did it. Let's go, man. I'm I'm so stoked on that. I've been working on Jeremy and, you know, secretly God's been working on him too. And, That's and right. finally he's engaged, um, which is amazing. Uh, after seven years of dating. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, we love you, Jeremy. But for you, um, the, so the audience can hear, what made you want, and I'm sure it's probably a longer or a long story, but like take as much time as you want. But what made you want to get married at a young age? And what advice would you give to young men in relationships based on your experience? Those are two tough questions. The first one isn't too tough. What made me want to get married is I found my best friend at a young mm-hmm. age. And um, yeah. I feel like if I if I go too deep in my mind, I'll get all emotional. Like it'll be it would be the first to make me cry on my own podcast. But well, I can tell, bro. You when I when I uh, asked you that, you like completely shifted your your like state, and you like started to like smile real big, <laughs> well, and you like when you. I feel like I don't know. I don't think anyone's perfect for you. I don't think yeah. anyone. I think I think so. If that's part of the advice to, to young men is don't search and, and really women as well. Don't search for someone who's like perfect because they're not going to uh, exist. But when you can find someone that truly believes in you more than you believe in yourself so that mm. they have that kind of undeniable or uh, un, unwavering belief in you. Um, that you may not even have in yourself that that's going to propel you forward, especially in times of doubt. Um, that's something you want to look for in a partner, um, someone that you can be vulnerable with and trust that they are, you know, taking you with that same kind of consideration and love, and someone you can really work through things with. So it's just these little things, I guess, that definitively made me 
want to get married because I knew this is someone I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And it wasn't mm-hmm. like, it's funny too, because this is something that Jeremy spoke about. I was like, yeah, I don't really feel like I need like the legality of it. And I felt the same way. My wife and I weren't really in a rush. And part of the reason for getting married is a bit of the legality of it, but it very much is too. Uh, the perspective behind that was, I don't need a legal contract to keep me in this relationship. Mm. I, we have a commitment to each other to work through anything, no matter what it is, whether it's a small argument or something bigger, we have a commitment to each other to work through it. And we don't leave quitting or walking out the door as an option. It's like Mm. not, it's off the table. Mm. Um, So finding someone that you can have that ability with and, and approach things in that way that they are considerate and in that way that you're able to find compromise pretty frequently. Mm. Uh, and you have that ability to kind of sacrifice yourself and they're also going to sacrifice their self. So you, you guys can, you know, find that, that middle ground, on a lot of things. I think that's important. Um, mm. and kind of tying into the young, young men advice. I think you just have to have a heart to heart with yourself and sacrifice pleasures or hedonistic values or Mm. aesthetics for something greater Mm. and what i mean is especially like with young men there's you know there's porn there's only fans there's constant distractions there's tinder there's all these apps where i could pull up i could make an account right now at the gym these days girls were next to nothing yeah, it, there's distractions everywhere you look, um, and, and at some point you have to say, you know, like that's it's an it's a hamster wheel is what it is, and you have yeah. to acknowledge that. As difficult as it is, I can still say like sometimes I still have you know desires or my eyes go you know areas where they shouldn't, but that's okay. It's just recognizing and having the understanding um, of myself that hey, like my my commitment this one person is more important than a brief moment of pleasure it's more important than anything else it's more important than my current job if i have to you know quit my job because it's it's taken away from our relationship i mean that's that's probably the hardest part of uh my relationship or marriage is just balancing quality time because Mm. i have this inner conflict of i want to sacrifice yeah go 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 so that my family can thrive and never have to like worry about any finances or any yeah. any struggle and also so that when i when we do have kids i can spend all my time with them because i don't have to go work a 9 to 5 or i'm not tied to something and that they can have everything that they want and need um so i have that struggle but then the other struggle is well if you're you know working all the time you have your head stuffed in a keyboard or you're you know out working whatever you're not spending time with the, the person you love. Um, mm. So I feel like I'm on a bit of a tangent, but my advice to young That's men is good. just to find, it's just to be honest with yourself and accept the fact that you're going to have to sacrifice the kind of easy on a silver platter, like pleasure just out in front of your face. You're going to have to turn that down and say, no, I'll have the, the vegetables, you know, no dessert for me. I'll have the vegetables, um, because you have to realize that like the long-term uh, gain, the long-term so gain and the long-term better. relationship is, is so much more fulfilling than brief moments of, of pleasure or, or excitement or, or the chase. 
Um, mm-hmm. You're going to have to give it up at some point. If you give it up too late in your 30s, 40s, 50s, and now you try and find a woman you want to spend the rest of your life with, uh, you're going to have more baggage. They're going to have more baggage. Um, it's a lot harder to find that person that late. There's more you know, pressure and urgency on it. You or the other person might have kids. It's a lot of different factors that come in. Um, mm-hmm. So it's tough, man. I feel like men don't have that many great role models. I feel like uh, maybe it's a old man traditional perspective. I know you share it though, that I, I think oh, yeah. we do need it. We need a reevaluation of relationships and marriage most. and what matters um, and what, you know, even, even like sex is overall, like I think casual sex and hookup culture, you know, it, it's, it's destructive. And I think it's, 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 it's decadent. Um, I mean, we, so. we work with, uh, with the nature of Steve's work. We work with a lot of uh, men and, and people who have, you know, gone through, through rough stuff. And, uh, yeah. and, and one thing, man, it's just like one thing that's so that will, I I've heard it. And actually at our mastermind this past weekend, one guy was talking about it. He's like, man, when me and my wife are in line where we're in sync, dude, we're unstoppable. We could send anything at us and we'll just knock it down. But when there's like friction, like it's just not, not working out. And that's what I felt like when I was growing up and I'd engage in those sorts of things and behaviors and, uh, you know, go out and, and hook up with girls and things like yeah. that. And is like, dude, it may be good for the moment, but bam, right after there's guilt, there's, um, you know, feelings of just not good shame. And then two, it's like, dude, that will destroy you like mentally, because that's all I was thinking yeah. about. I was thinking about this girl that like all it's these so short sighted. Yeah. And it was distracting me from actually like progressing into what well, you know, God was calling me to do. Yeah, and not even thinking about, okay, what are the detractors from having the short-sighted mindset where you're just worried about short-term pleasures and like the now, but also think about what you're losing from not having that foundation that a, that a, a, a relationship can provide. Like like mm-hmm. I just spoke to it, like what my wife does for me, the, the you know... Believes more in you than you and Not yourself. just the belief, but like this, this, she's the support beams to everything I do. Mm-hmm. So like I, I can go out and do great things only because she's at the bottom holding me up and wow. and mm-hmm. so it's like <laughs> people don't see that you know mm-hmm. um okay i gotta ask you one question <laughs> then you can ask me a question to finish it up for you this podcast is called the zero quit podcast right yeah so what does zero quit mean to you and why is it special and important to you it's kind of funny. I, I almost wish this podcast didn't have a name. Like, it could, if it could be untitled, um, yeah. I, I, and this is nothing to Jeremy or you know anyone who has a name under under their own name. I almost just feel like I, I didn't want to make it my name because I'm not. I don't view myself as uh, important, or I, I just don't. I didn't want it under that. I didn't. I didn't know what to like make the the name in a sense. But I did have this idea of you know, zero quit, uh, you know, taking that off the table, a sense of consistency and grit. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was like, that's, that's me. And the name wasn't taken. So a bit of it is like a legitimate mindset and perspective that I have beyond fitness, beyond ultra marathons. Mm -hmm. But part of it was kind of superfluous or or just arbitrary, I should say. 
Um, mm. it, it, it doesn't really have any grandiose meaning, I would say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. I'm glad you didn't try and make up something to make it sound well, cool. Uh, a, be- a better answer would to, to kind of illuminate how I feel about it, too, is the, the podcast centers a lot around fitness. And, it, and it, I've yeah. had a lot of athletes on, you're an athlete, I'm an athlete, whatever. Yeah. But I, I'm just so over conversations of just surface level stuff. I, I, I don't mm. like having guests on where we just talk about their book or their mm. achievements or whatever. I, yeah. I want to get into, you know, deep stuff. Almost every person I have on who is a parent, I ask them some question about their kids uh, mm. because I, I want to get again to that, that inner person. I want to get the vulnerable aspects of yeah. them. Um, and, and so that's, that's the goal with the podcast. It's it's been the goal, and sometimes it's hard to do. Sometimes it's hard to like find guests because mm. someone has a following or someone asked to come on, they got whatever. But I'm just not interested. It's 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 mm. hard to find people I'm like excited to talk to, mm. um, and it's not a it's not a knock on anybody. It's just maybe you aren't presenting your most authentic, open self on social media, so I don't know that it's there. Because I don't mm. want to get you on the conversation and you're just regurgitating stuff you heard on Chris Williamson's podcast or Joe Rogan. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I think we, I just, I hear enough motivation stuff. That's why I kind of hate my podcast has that like motivational type name. Cause I just, I don't, I don't want to preach motivation. I want to treat, or I want to like preach like identity and self awareness and introspection. Mm. You know? Yeah. That's, that's really good. I, I love that. Like keeping it raw and real. Um, because too, it's like, especially in culture now, so many people see um, the stuff that's on Instagram, the stuff. And that's everyone on, has a podcast. Uh, everyone, yeah. has, dude, you're next. You're the next podcaster, and then me and Jeremy will come on. <laughs> well, I actually had a podcast before everyone had a podcast. Oh damn! Um, I had I started one right after I left college in in the the summer of 2020. Um, so yeah. not before everyone, but before the last two years where a lot more people I feel like have gotten on it. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a, like, people are craving that so much right now is like genuine people who are not going to put up some face and say, Hey, I'm perfect. But like, I'll invite you in. And I, I learned this from a, one of Steve's really good friends and in the difference between transparency and uh, vulnerability and in transparency, if, if I remember correctly, is like, opening up uh, the blinds on the window and, and letting people see. But then vulner, I think it's vulnerability is like opening up the windows mm. and inviting people inside the house. And I think that's just really powerful to the point of the power of vulnerability and that connecting with people. And, and people want to, to connect with real people. Like part of, I think why we connect so well, Jeremy and I connect so well, you and Jeremy connect so well is like, like, dude, we're not trying to like posture ourselves up against each other. Like, like we don't care. Like you just said, if, if I could have this podcast be no named, I'd have it no named. And, and I, um, I'm so in line with that. Like, I, I don't want, like, I don't want Pierce Shaw to be famous. Like I believe in, in my faith that, you know, God's given me so many gifts and he's guided me, directed my course and pursued me and, and helped me. And so that's why, you know, my faith is so, so passionate. And too, if you 
if you live a life that's centered around you, it's always going to be unfulfilling. It's always going to let you down. But when you make it about others, it's going to, it's going to definitely be different. Yeah. Well, last question to end on a lighthearted note. How many of those black Jesus's King shirts do you own? Or is it the same <laughs> one? You got to have at least 10. I think I have probably 10, 15. Are I've there got, other like, colors one, or is Steve got... like, it's got to be black and white? No, there are other colors. There's white, okay. there's green, but like, I also got some custom ones that have like a lion and a verse on the back and like, um, you yeah, know what I told, I just, you know what I told Jeremy I was yeah. going to do, we should show up to your Moab. I, I, I told him what we wouldn't do it cause it would be sacrilegious, but I was going to come up with like a Pierce's King shirt. <laughs> that would have been great. Oh, Jeremy told me about that. Oh, he did. Yeah, but God damn it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I, I did he give me credit for the joke or did he? Yeah, it? yeah. Okay, yeah, he was, I was like say Brock. It. Brock should. Brock was talking about how we should do this, but yeah, no. In all seriousness, I, I saw Steve wearing it, and I was like, oh man, that's a cool, cool basic shirt. Like I see you, and I know what you're about. Yeah, and then he's yeah. like, yeah, dude, like you wear this thing in the airport, you wear it around. It's like an amazing opportunity to, to share your face with people and, yeah. and have deep conversations. And so, yeah, I'll wear this throughout the airport and people will be like, oh, I'd like your, your shirt. I'm like, oh, no way. Like, tell me more about yourself and we'll start a conversation. And, and think like this shirt has started so many conversations that I never would have had in my, in my life. It's just, it's just really cool. But yeah, I, I I do own a lot and I'm not wearing the same one every day if people are, (laughs) are curious about it. Good, good. Happy to hear it. Well, Pierce, this has been a pleasure. We'll have to do it again, either on or off camera. It doesn't really matter to me. And I, I hope we can uh, connect in person in 2024. I feel like it's inevitable. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'll put it on my wall. That's what I'll do. But uh, tell, tell people where they can find you. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, first off, thank you so much for um, you know having me on the show again. And also your commitment to consistency with this show and, yeah. uh, and getting this out to people. Um, because I, I know there are people that are definitely impacted by you and by your show. So uh, thank you for, for putting in in the time and, and effort and energy to do it. Um, and then, yeah, as far as like finding my stuff, uh, probably the easiest place is just Instagram, uh, which I, I'm sure uh, Brock can link in the in the show notes. And yep. you can just search it up, Pierce Shao, P-I-E-R-C-E-S-H-O-W-E. Uh, I post a lot of running content, post a lot about just my journey and things I've got going on and, and also some really useful uh, running tips and, and things that I've learned along the way. So you're always welcome to uh, to message me. I get back to pretty much everyone. So uh, yeah, man, thanks again for having me on, Brock. Really yeah, appreciate dude. you. There you have it. Pierce, you're the man. Give him a follow. Share the podcast. If you guys enjoyed it, subscribe to the show and I will catch you guys on the next one.